Praise the Lord. We have our prayer points that we've been given that the church nationwide, worldwide is giving us some guidance to pray by during our time of fasting and prayer for this 21 days. The Lord laid on my heart to take us as as a church and as individuals right here in this local community. We're not going to take away from that, but I want us to be looking at things that he's wanting to show us. And so last week we started this series, I called it Overcomers. I know I did one a few years back, probably called that. This ain't the same one, I couldn't think of another name. Last week we talked about, uh, excuse me, still a little choked up I think. But last week we talked about uh, avoiding the hard questions. I'm just going to give us a quick summary for those of you that were here. Those of you who weren't, maybe this will help catch you up. And I'm just going to kind of read off from my notes. I like these glasses, Randy. They work good. We talked about avoiding the hard questions and what it is that keeps us to live into our potential in Jesus. Have you ever asked that self of yourself? If not, it's probably a good thing to ask. What weakens us? I asked you what, as a reference to like Superman, what is the kryptonite for believers that weakens us? Remember Superman, he had supernatural powers. He could do all these things, leap tall buildings in a single bound. He could outrun trains. He could just beat up bad guys. He could beat up people from other worlds as they ran out of stories. They came up with all this stuff. But when he got around kryptonite, he got so weak he couldn't barely walk. And if he stayed around it, it killed him. And it usually was an earthly person that would come along and move that away because they were able to see what was going on. So what is it that weakens us as believers? What is weakening us as individuals and in turn as a church? You know, we're all in this thing together, right? You shoot a hole in the boat, we all sink. Right? We're in this thing together. We, we, We suffer together. We deal with things together. We mentioned that we're praying for those that have left us or have grown away and those things, well, that's something that we're in this thing together. I've been asking this question for a long time, and we're going to go through this series, and we're going to get it done, and I pray that it's going to be something that's going to bring fruit into our lives and take us from the place that we're not weak anymore as individuals. You see, I look for the time that when we pray for Brother Murphy this morning, he lets out a shout, and all of a sudden there ain't no stones there. I still believe God can do that. That's what I was expecting this morning. I expect him to have that testimony that they're gone. I expect what I prayed this morning, asking the Lord, that when he gets home, Arlene's up cleaning the house and got dinner ready. I mean, don't we believe that or do we? And so that's what we expect. That's the thing that we want to see. And so we ask that question, what keeps us? And I asked the question last week, what is our greatest desire? We talked about having stuff and, and, and stature and, and all these things and being ranked high in the community and, and a lot of different things. Some of the things are beneficial, but the true satisfaction of every man and woman that they long for, whether they know it or not, is an intimate relationship with our God. He put it in us. We showed in Scripture that Jesus declared that the kingdom of God is within us, Matthew 17 and 21. I'm not saying the kingdom of heaven. It's different. The kingdom of God, he said, is within you. 
He told us in the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so those are things to look at. We showed in Scripture in Acts 17 and 6 that the early church turned the world upside down. You remember that? They turned the world upside down. They were so unique that whenever they walked around and people were getting healed and deliverance was happening, all these things were happening, they were so unique that they had to tell people not to worship them. It's not what we're doing, it's the power of God that's doing it. And we're into people worship today, aren't we? Say amen, because that was exactly right. If we don't identify the problem, we never get out of, we never get out of trouble. That is the problem in our nation today. We're men worshipers, and we seek that sometimes, and that's a nature that comes from us that doesn't come from heaven. And so they were able to eliminate sickness and diseases from those who suffered in 1 John 2 and 6. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. It's talking about Jesus. If we say we abide in him, we should be walking like him. As we, uh, are we as effective as the, as the early church was in reaching their world? That was a question we asked last week. And we've got to remember, they didn't have the internet and Facebook and all kinds of social media. They didn't have TV and radio. They didn't have cars. But they turned their world upside down. They didn't have screens on the, on the wall. They didn't have books in their pews. They didn't have pews. Whatever song you like, they didn't have it because everything's in them books was wrote probably in the 1800s as far back as it goes. They didn't have it. No, they had a relationship with God and they had a desire to do what God wanted them to do. That's how they turned the world upside down. Why aren't we asking the questions about our ineffectiveness? Are we? Why aren't we seeking the answers? Are we? Is it because by asking ourselves the question, we may uncover issues we aren't willing to deal with? That's why we don't face stuff. We don't like to not feel good. I go to church to feel good. That's great. Do what God says. You'll feel good every time. But whenever the truth comes and conviction sets in, it's not going to feel so good. And praise God for that because that means we're still sensitive to the spirit. If we're doing wrong and we don't feel nothing about it, oh, we're in trouble then. The Bible gives us answers, but we avoid answering the difficult questions. Hebrews 8 and 6 says that Jesus is the mediator to a better covenant. He is it's established on better promises. That means the old covenant, the Old Testament was inferior. In James 1 and 22, he says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And this tells us that if we hear... Uh, that if, that if we hear a word from God or from Scripture, from the Holy Spirit speaking to us, from sound teaching or preaching, and then we fail to act on it, we have actually deceived ourselves. And that's what he's telling us in that. The proof that we, are, that we believe something isn't that we agree and shout amen. It's do we act on it. That's the proof. That's the proof. And so this is the... Series we're going on, I told you last week, it's, it's going to get a little tight at some times, but I promise you when we get to the end, if we let the Holy Ghost do his work, 
we're going to be satisfied. Okay? Last week I gave you some questions to ask yourselves and to prayerfully seek the leading of the Spirit during this time of fasting. Did you do that? And allow Him to minister to us. Did you do that? Remember I told you a surgeon comes in and somebody's got cancer. Well, guess what? The surgery ain't fun. And it's usually painful. And the recovery is usually painful, but the difference is there's a life that's been saved. If anybody's ever watched somebody die with cancer, it's horrible. It's awful. And yet, when we have things that's in the Bible, that's exactly what we have going on inside of us, little spiritual cancers that are growing, and they weaken us, and they hurt us. And the Holy Spirit, he loves us more than any surgeon does. And he wants to remove any cancer that is weakening us and ultimately will kill us. But here's the thing. He won't do it without our consent. Did you know that? He will not do it without our consent and without our participation. I ask you again, do you remember the questions? Did you ponder them? Did you contemplate them? Did you pray? Did you let the Spirit do? Because if you didn't, this week you get even further behind. And before long, we get so far behind that we just give up. My job this morning and my job over the next little bit is to take us to the place that we don't have to ask questions anymore like that. As a matter of fact, Brother Charlie's going to be speaking tonight for our prayer service. We're still going to have prayer service on Sunday night, but starting next week, I'll be doing two messages on Sunday, one on Sunday morning, and Sunday mornings will be supported or is building up and Sunday night will be sitting on top of it. If you miss one, then you're only taking half the medicine. How many of us go to the doctor, he gives us a pill, and we only take a half a bottle or half a pill? So he's giving us something here. It's wintertime. Shouldn't be a whole lot to do. I'm not throwing junk, stones or nothing at nobody. I don't want you to get that. But if you want to get to a place, then at least, and Brother Charlie, where you at? You hiding? Make sure that ASAP, after these messages go out, get them online in case anybody wants to hear them because there's truth in here that will make a difference. I'm going to get it done. i got to get it done by Easter. So that's why we're going to double up and we're going to work our way through this, okay? So let's get started on today's question, addressing what weakens us. We're not going to get through all of it. This is going to be something that we're going to apply a whole lot of things to. But we're going to get started. As children of God, it makes perfect sense that our lives reflect Him. And He's made that very clear in Scripture. In 1 John 4 and 17, says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. Now, there are people that like to teach something different, but it doesn't say that as He is, so we will be in the next life. It says, in this world. Remember we talked last week, they were lights. They shone out into the community. They made a difference. They turned their world upside down. And so to think that we're just saved and now we're waiting to go to heaven is heresy. If you've ever been taught that, get it out of you because it ain't right. We're to live this way now. Now. That's how we reach people. That's how we can come together and grow. It is now. 2 Peter 4, uh, 1 and 4 it says, and I'm not going to read the whole thing just for time's sake, but there's a part in there that says we are partakers of the divine nature. The divine nature of God we are partakers of. 
We hold on to him. We have his nature coming and, and, and working through us. The very nature of God should be manifesting in our lives if we are born again, truly born of God. His divine nature should be there. And I'm going to give you a false statement. The Bible calls it heresy, so we can use both words. Have you ever heard this? There really is no difference in a Christian and a sinner. Only the Christian has been saved. Let me say that again because I know you've heard it. There is no difference in a Christian and a sinner except that the Christian has been saved. There should be a world of difference in a Christian and a sinner. We should stand out to this world. People should know what's going on. There should be a difference. Now remember, we're going to the place of identifying the things that weaken us as believers. That's, what we're, that's, that's the goal that we're going to. See, we are born of God, and that, therefore we are his offspring. Megan and Ryan cannot deny that they're mine and Sweetie's children. The DNA says so, but you just look at them. On Sweetie's part, that's a good thing. On mine, the poor kids. <laughs> but we have his divine nature. We've never seen a horse give birth to a cow. Dogs don't give birth to cats. Chickens don't lay eggs and sit on them and hatch out turkeys. So nature itself understands this concept. Therefore, when we're born again, we need to understand this concept. This is not to be browbeating or bashing, but this is just truth from the Bible that will help us. And 1 John 3 and 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God. There's a, a, what's that thing called with the dot and the comma, semicolon? Yeah. That's in there, so that's a whole different idea. It says now, not in the next life, not at another time, not when later when we arrive in heaven. It's now. And so we look around us and we see churches emptying out. We see places that used to be thriving that are closing down. We see all this stuff going on. It's because somebody forgot about the now part. Forgot about having the Spirit of God in us and the, and the attributes of God in us. We should be manifesting unselfish character inside of us, just as He is. We should have unconditional love, just as He is. We can't explain our way around it. We can't take it and bend it the way we want it to bend. Because otherwise, we're just trying to support ourselves in a sinful nature. We should be having that unconditional love. We should have joy and peace, supernatural power. When the Holy Ghost comes on you. <laughs> yeah, those guys couldn't even stand up for Jesus on the night that he got crucified. But 50 days later, if supernatural power came, they walked right up in the middle of the city and started proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And 3,000 people get saved. And they spent the rest of their lives walking along that line. They died some horrific deaths because they would not walk away from the truth. They had to give that truth. We should have wisdom that comes from God. Not worldly wisdom. There is a difference. Wisdom that comes from God. Understanding, knowledge, perceptive insight, being able to see things, being able to understand. I play chess. And when you play chess, you should be thinking three moves ahead. If you're any good at it, I don't always do that. I ain't very good at it, but I know that's what I should be doing, okay? 
Why aren't we seeing this on an individual or an overall church level? Why aren't we seeing this kind of thing happening among us? And I told you, during this series, some of these messages may seem rough and they may seem negative. And it may be difficult at times. But if we will let him minister to us, we will be satisfied. And we will be satisfying to those that are around us. Because truth will come in. Truth will come into our lives. You know, a doctor will come in and I'll, you just tell me what you think about this. A doctor comes in and you went to see him and he checks you out and you got a spot on your arm. Okay, what's the right thing for him to do? He needs to test it, right? Right, Sister Denise? He needs to test it. See what it is. And when you go in to see this doctor, he's going to look and he says, oh, what's a skin cancer thing you have? What's Melanoma. Let's see, and, and that'll kill you, by the way. Got a spot on your skin, and he looks at it, and he diagnoses it. He says, you got a melanoma here. And they test it, and they say, oh, by the way, it's, it's malignant is the one that kills you, right? And benign is the one that's, don't worry about it. I have to go to Sweetie for the medical terms. He says it's malignant, which means if you don't do something about it, it's going to kill you. And then he goes through what he's going to tell you. This is the procedure we're going to do. We're going to give you maybe some chemo. We're going to give you some radiation. We'll give you these different things. This is what we have prescribed to do. We know that it works. And you know what? It's going to be discomfort. You're going to be throwing up a lot. You know, you're going to be weak. You're not going to feel right. But in the end, when it's all said and done, you're going to be healthy and your life is going to be extended. You're going to go on and things are going to be good. Right? Don't we agree with that? How many of us go to the doctor? I raised my hand, but I usually don't. I was doing it to get you to do yours. And I should. Shouldn't I, sweetie? Y'all pray for sweetie on that to get into my hard head. But we go to the doctors. Y'all forgive me. I wore a sweater to stay warm this morning, but now, whew, it's getting warm. What if we went to the doctor and the doctor comes along and what's he do? He comes in, he sees the spot, says, ah, it's melanoma, probably nothing to worry about. Don't worry about it. Just start eating healthy, you know. Only eat two eggs a week instead of a dozen. Stay away from the bacon. Just eat healthy. Exercise some more. You know, have a good positive attitude about stuff. And, and it's going to be okay. Let me ask you something. Is that right? You can have a melanoma or a cancer in your body, and I don't care if you eat no eggs or what you eat. If it doesn't get dealt with, you will die. Has that doctor done you a favor? He hasn't done anything right in that aspect you see God loves us too much to not diagnose the problem not present us with the treatment not to say I'm going to hold your hand and get you through it so that we can have life he won't do that and his true messengers won't do it either that's what's wrong with our churches in America today look around us that's what's wrong why some people ain't sitting with us anymore. 
and let's pray for them. We love them. Because they want to be told what I want to hear, not what I need to hear. We would not like a doctor that did that, would we? Then why do we do it with preachers and do it with teachers and do it with churches that want to preach the truth? Maybe in a sit-down conversation. See, God is committed to our health and well-being more than any surgeon or doctor that you've got on your insurance plan or that you know, even if he's a doctor on the soap operas that you think is real. They don't love you like he loves you. And if we want to a spiritual, spiritually healthy life and a spiritually healthy family and a spiritually healthy church family, then we have to allow the corrective procedures to be implemented. We have to be committed to allowing God to take us to the place that we can have healing. That's why I'm asking you that this morning. Maybe we're in the last days. I feel such a pressure to get done with this and to get done quickly. I want to be done by Easter. I just had this in my spirit. It came on me this morning. And so that's why I'm going to hit two messages a day because it's going to take probably that long until we get to Easter probably, and then we'll be done with it. If you're not liking this, you're probably not going to come back because you know what we're covering in every service. Unless the Lord tells me different, I don't think he will. I think he's led us down this road because we need to receive what he has for us. We just simply have to do the book. We have to be able to identify the things that is weakening us as believers. And we have to ask that question. I want to ask you, why was some of the Old Testament believers part of an inferior covenant based on inferior promises living a far above and exceeding life than what we see today in the church? I ask that question. Why? When we have a better covenant, we have better promises, we have the Spirit of God living within us, we don't have to wait for some prophet to come talk to us. We can talk to God right now. We're going to talk to him tonight at seven o'clock, 6 o'clock. We're going to have prayer service tonight. We're going to talk to God tonight. We should be talking to him every day, all day. But I want to touch on something here real quick. Turn to your Bibles in 1 Corinthians 11 and 28. Anybody have any idea as soon as I said that what it is? It has to deal with communion. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now, we're going to do communion. We're going to take communion here at the end of the fast at church. We're going to do that on Sunday morning, that Sunday morning. Which Sunday is? I didn't look ahead. 27th, ain't it, Charlie? Is that it? 28th. So we're going to, we're going to take communion that morning. So, but he says, let, let, every, let, let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. I want you to pay attention to this next verse, verse 30. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. They didn't take a nap. They took a dirt nap. They died. And the inference here is they died early, prematurely. Because of what he said here. 
For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned in this world. See, the point here is that the Corinthians were showing irreverence for God. They were aware of their disobedience, but yet they did it anyway. And that's why Paul came in to warn them and said, here's the result of what's going on. There's weakness, there's sickness, and there's premature death. Now hang with me on this because you may have your mind going somewhere else, but we're going to cover a little bit more along these lines. In Psalm 31 and 10 it says, For my life is spent with grief and my years with sign. My strength has fails me because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. That causes the weakness that comes, the spiritual weakness that we see. James 1, 15 and 16. Then when, we des when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Who is he talking to? For those that don't believe about losing your salvation, James is talking to believers. And the death he's talking about is not that you die someday. He's talking about dying spiritually. That's exactly what he's covered. See, he's talking to these believers and he's warning them and he's warning us not to be tricked by sin's power. Paul was the spiritual father of these Corinthians and he was warning them. Some pastors are today. All should be today doing the same thing. But we want to build country clubs. We want to have the big crowd. We want to have all this and that. And we don't want to address the issues that's setting in lives of people who are dying, of people who are weak, of churches when people call on them to pray that nothing ever happens. The people don't even pray. Oh, I'll be praying for you. Only God knows. But if you don't, you lied. And now you've got to repent. And if you don't repent, that means you've got to make good of it. You got to come and say, Bobby, I told you I was going to pray for you, and I didn't. Will you forgive me? Otherwise, Bobby thinks I'm praying for him, and I ain't. Why? Because it's the churchy thing to do. It looks right. Oh, well, I'm spiritual. I'm super spiritual. I'm supposed to be praying. No, are we praying? When we get the call on the prayer line, are we talking to God for these people? No matter what's going on in our life, our place ain't to determine why they're in the place that they're in. Our place is to call upon God so that maybe... Maybe something did put them there, but God's saying, okay, pray for them because I'm getting ready to pull them out. They need to see something. Otherwise, we stay in the mire. We stay down and we stay in that bad place. See, he's talking to these believers. He's talking to believers and they may die. Now, here's what I want to cover, though. This does not mean that all sickness, weakness, and death or early death is due to sin. And there are people that will preach that. There are people that teach that. Well, there must be something going on in your life over there. They walk around like they're all this and that and hide and mighty and sing 500 hymns out of a book that's only got 400. Boy, they're just special. They think, but there's something going on because this is going on in their life. See, there are times when the Lord uses illness and hardship to get our attention. It doesn't always mean that we're in sin, but sometimes it does. And we got to let him show us. 
And I think that's what he's going to do through this series we have. I want to point out some things in John 9 and 2. You remember the guy that was born blind? And the the disciples came and said, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus set them straight, the very next verse. Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. You might be dealing with sin. Brother Murphy, it doesn't mean that you've got sin sitting in your life that nobody knows about because you've got kidney stones. But I'll tell you what, if you got touched this morning and it leaves you, and it leaves you today by the power of prayer, by the power of God, then it shows the glory of Him. And won't you gladly go through it for Him? He is our Lord. We serve Him. Amen? It doesn't mean He's got something going on bad in His life. But that's what they asked. Why it was the mindset back then? Why is it in the Bible? Because it's the mindset today by many people. We see the homeless sitting on the street, and obviously they're bad people, right? And then God t- tickles you on them and says, give him a 10 spot or take him over here and buy him a hamburger. And you say, nah, uh-uh, he's going to go buy liquor with it. You better miss- listen to the Lord do what he says. Let that guy answer to God for his thing. I promise you this, you go to offer them a piece of pizza or something to eat, they'll let you feed them. And while you're feeding them, and while you're talking with them, get that conversation going, find out what their name is so you can call out to their prayer. John Mann, do you remember that name, sis? Met him in New York City. He's getting up to leave. Hey, you want some pizza, buddy? Here, here's have some, some of our drink. We got to sit there and talk to this man and, and tell him about Jesus. And he had a lot of questions. I was just listening to God. I didn't care what put him in that place. It doesn't matter to me. That's between him and God. I obeyed the Lord, and I'm going to tell you what. I ain't get my money back for that piece of pizza yet, but I'm going to tell you what. I walked away from there feeling really good in my spirit because the Lord was pleased. I got three amens out of that. That's why we're having this series. That's why we're having this series, folks. But let's look at a fellow by the name of Job. You remember him? Job 1 and 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil? What did God just say about Job? There ain't nobody like him. He loves me. That's what God's saying. He loves me. And he does, he, he's staying away from me. He's shunning evil. Hey, devil, have you thought about attacking him? And then we know his friends, right? He had three buddies. <laughs> oh, we're praying for you. We just love you. And they're sitting in the back room saying, hey, something's going on with this guy. He's got some sin in his life. There's no way God's going to love him. You all remember what happened, right? Job lost everything, lost his youngins. His own wife told him to even curse God and die. And his friends are sitting there saying there's sin in his life. They didn't just tell him that. They're telling everybody that. They're letting the word get out about that. But then God does something here. He restores Job. And in, 40, in verse 40, in chapter 42 and verse 7, And so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of what is right. You misrepresented me, is what he was saying. You misrepresented me. I'm the one that had this thing in control. I put it all together. I set it up how it was supposed to be. 
and you were supposed to be his brother and you were supposed to lift him up, you were supposed to go through it with him rather than shooting him down and talking bad about him and telling everybody he's got some hidden sin and he's like, we don't know what it is, but it's there. And the world does that. So I'm telling you, not all sicknesses mean that we are living in sin. Sometimes it's for God's glory. Oh, but let's look in John chapter 5 and verse 14. You remember the pool of Shalom? The guy's that's crippled and he's 38 years, I think, and he can't move and the waters are troubled and the people that would get into the waters first would receive healing. Am I right on that story? That's right. And so what happened? The Lord comes up and he says, how come you ain't in there? And he's like, well, I got nobody to put me in. So Jesus does something, and it's on the Sabbath, by the way, which just upsets all the big church people that know everything. He worked on Saturday, on Sunday. It's Saturday, actually, in Jewish times. I have to separate my mind sometimes. And he healed him. Did you go to that? Yeah. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Sometimes... We deal with the junk we deal with because God's knocking on the door and then he touches us and he heals us. We've seen that, right? People come up in the church and they've got a hardship going on in their life. They show up. They want God to do the work. God does a miracle work in their life or sometimes he doesn't. Either way, both cases, they end up not hanging in there. They came to God to get something from him. If God can perform, good. If God don't perform, I tried it and I'm done with it. And God, that's probably the very ones that God said, this is in your life simply because I'm trying to get your attention. So it does happen both ways, and I wanted to show you that so that you don't go off thinking that I'm saying people that are sick are living in sin. See, Jesus gave this man a warning, and we lack true love when we avoid addressing issues in our staying clear of any behavior that could, make, could be mistaken as mean, accusatory, or condemning. We often swing the pendulum to the other side by not saying anything at all. Mm. And so, many are weak and many are sick. Let me ask you, is this love? Is this truly caring for somebody? I don't care if you take soup to them eight times a day. Do you truly care for their souls? I don't care if you go and mow their yard. I don't care if you get in eight truckloads of wood. If you got that in your heart, I'd like to have some. But if you don't avoid or if you don't step up to the plate with the issues, the real issues, what good have we done? Yes, people want to hear and know that they're loved. But when we love them, we also sometimes have to take truth. Amen? Otherwise, what have we done? What have we done? They're upset because we didn't perform right? Oh, how's that happen? How does that happen? That's when the place to give truth comes in. And not just the preacher, not just the former pastor, all believers. See, that's when we have this true keen insight. That's when the Spirit of God is really working in our lives. That's why we're weak and we can't have that conversation. We either A, don't see it, or we don't have the boldness to have the conversation. And we can do it in love. 
Just because we give truth doesn't mean we don't love somebody. So let's be honest. Where is the focus of our love? Do we love the church just as Jesus and Paul did in speaking the truth to them? Or are we focused on ourselves, our reputation, or losing our following, or being misunderstood? Where is the focus of our love? If we're like Jesus and Paul, our love is so that you can be set free. That's what we want. That's why we tell you. That's why we preach. That's why we study. That's why we pray. That's why we do all these things so the Spirit of God can lead us. And it's so that's where the focus of the love is. And it might not sit well. It might not feel good. But just remember, it's surgery. And the Holy Spirit loves you. And he's doing surgery on us. And it will be painful sometimes. And it will take some time sometimes. But if we hang on to the truths of the Bible... We come out smelling a whole lot better, so to speak. More satisfied. Paul passionately loved the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians 11 and 11, he asked the question, Why? Because I do not love you? God knows. You see, he wrote to the Corinthians because the Corinthians were having issues. The idea that we don't face issues inside the church whether it be from the pulpit or one-on-one. I don't get it because that's where the healing comes. Paul wrote to him, right? He was following the Lord, right? All Scripture is inspired by God. God gave it to him. That's why it's in the Bible, right? It came from God. It's God's Word. It's good to know Paul wrote it, I guess. Helps us to understand some things. That, okay, Paul was following Jesus. That's good, kind of an example for us. But we have to remember, it's not Paul's words, it's God's words. And so God gives what they needed to have. And he says in 2 Corinthians 2.4, For out of much affliction and anguish of my heart I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. I don't get up here and do this so that you get mad at me. It's my love for you. I want you to be at the place that you get across that hump that's holding you back. Get that weight off your foot that's holding you down. Let that trap loose that might have us held back. That's what it's about. And I do understand and I do know. Brother Murphy told me this seven years ago. If you keep everybody that comes in the door, you did better than I did because it can't happen. That's the truth of the matter. You see, he loved them. It was his abundant love. And he gave these words, and they were strong. They were corrective words. They were rebuking. But it was out of his passionate love for them. Oh, it pains me to watch Christians come in different doors and not want to talk with each other. Or I don't want to go do something because they're going to be here. Or do something. You know what? You understand what I'm talking about? It pains me to see that. And that's my passionate love for us. It pains me if it's in my family. It pains me if it's in my church family. It pains me when it's between churches. It ain't right. And somebody's got to stand up and somebody's got to give that word so that we get fixed. Otherwise, we deceive ourselves and we sit in a place that according to what we've been reading here could lead to death. Now that's a warning. That's a warning that God gave. And he used Paul to do it. In 2 Corinthians 12 and 15. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. 
though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. It's obvious that Paul was frustrated. It's obvious that he was having difficulty. Though he was giving them words of correction which would lead to life, they viewed him as a harsh leader, a harsh teacher, and not as a passionate lover of their souls. So, Brother Murphy, all those years, you dealt with the same thing Paul did. There are people that don't like us because of a word we had to give. And maybe it wasn't from the pulpit. Maybe it was sitting around a kitchen table. Maybe it was sitting over on a fence post somewhere. Maybe it was riding down the road. But that was the truth that was holding them back. Remember I told you a few months ago about Ezekiel. You know, God gave him some pretty firm warning there. You tell them what I tell you. Otherwise, their blood is on your responsibility. Now, if you tell them and they don't do, then they're on their own and you've saved yourself. You hear that? You've saved yourself. And if you tell them and they take heed and they let the word come in and they grow and they get up and they say, oh, that was bad. They're able to now have the spiritual eyes to see it. He said, well, they've been saved and you've been saved. And so Paul understood that and that's what he did. I'm going to ask you a question. Where is the Corinthian church at? We've heard it in the Bible, right? But has it been on the news lately? Well, anybody know where it was? I'm sorry. It was in Corinth, which was a place in Greece. Did you know that today they're actually digging up the ruins of Corinth? Did you know that Greece just a few years ago just about went under because their bank, bank, bank system went, they went bankrupt as a country? You want to know what happened to them? They didn't heed the warning. That's what happened to Corinth. Yet they're in the Bible. It's an example for us, but let's look at history. They're not around anymore. We go up and down the roads and we hit cities. I know Brother Ken's told me about places he's been up north. It used to be vibrant churches, man, huge, and had huge followings, and they were closing them down. Or there's just a few people scooting in there on walkers, and you know, in a couple years, they're going to be closed for sure because there's nobody there. Why? They either never got gave the warning, or they never heeded the warning. And that's what God's given to us. I'm concerned about Huddleston Church. I'm concerned about the church as a whole all the way around. Don't get me wrong. My concern is here in our church, in our midst. Why are we weak? Why are we not seeing the power of God move? And he's identifying it to us, and he's going to be showing us over the next couple of months what to do about it. They didn't heed the warning. So what do we do about it? Remember in 1 John 4 and 17, as he is, so are we in this world. As he is, so are we in this world. Right now. Not when you die next week or two years from now. Right now, as he is, so are we. You and I are called to live like Jesus in our lives. Today, not someday in the next life, we're called to live like him. Now let me ask you this question. What does that do to change the way you think about your daily life? Think about your daily life. Honestly, think about your daily life. Do you consider yourself weak or strong? 
Think about it for a moment. It's a trick test. If you consider yourself weak, then you have assessed yourself wisely. 2 Corinthians 12 and 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. You hear that? You think yourself strong? It's not his power. But if we think ourselves weak and see ourselves how we truly are, that's when the power of God starts coming in. That's when the power of God starts moving. See, God will only turn our weakness into strength when we humble ourselves before him. When we humble ourselves before him, we do it with the word. We have to do it with the word. When we pray today, I want you to ask God to speak to you about any reason that there's weakness in your life. I'm going to give you a hint. If you're not dead this morning, you all, and me included, need to pray that, and we need to earnestly seek God. I don't care if Brother Murphy pastored for 44 years, been a minister for a long time. My friend, you need to pray. That's my job to tell you that. God, what is weakness? What is keeping me weakened from being like you? If you've been saved for a week, the same prayer. Okay? If we're honest with ourselves. You see, the great physician will only diagnose and address the problem and lead us through the, to the treatment. And through the treatment, if we give him our consent, we have to give him our consent and we have to participate. We've got to have a want to. If you don't want to participate, then you're okay. But can you understand this? God's put the warning out there now. You understand that? God's put the warning out there now. And knowingly being disobedient, it's a cancer that will weaken us. It will weaken you, and eventually it will kill you if it's not dealt with. Think about your life. How close have you been with God over the last six months or over the last year, over the last two years? What was your life like? when you started first following the Lord? What was your life like a year ago? What's it like now? Has something happened to draw you away? Anything can keep you from coming to church and receiving his word. Anything can keep you from praying today. Anything can do that? Yeah, that's a good question to ask, isn't it? My dear friends, the warning is, is the devil wants your soul. He wants your soul. He wants your family's soul. And he wants everybody that is associated with you, he wants their soul. And if we don't do this and we don't approach it the way God's wanting us to, and if we don't let it come into our hearts, that's called willful disobedience. And that's what was going on in Corinth. And we know how it ended. They're buried under the ground somewhere the whole town is. Do we want that happening in Huddleston? Do we want that happening in America? If it's not us that's going to preach this message and live it and start getting it out, then who's going to do it? What if Jesus is coming back in six months and now he's making his bride ready without spot, without blemish? If he's showing it that today and if we honestly will seek him, he's saying, I'm getting you ready. <laughs> 